Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Bob Smart. Bob, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you, Dave. Uh, it's great to be with you. It's been great just to chat with you for a few minutes. I have really have enjoyed it and um, look forward to this conversation with you today. Uh, can you uh, just tell us, please, about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? Sure thing. Uh, Karen and I met uh, while we were at Purdue University. We were discipled by a wonderful couple and involved in the same church. And uh, I actually Elster begged at our wedding many years ago. She was from that area in Cleveland. We were given five children. We had three and God gave us twin. I recommend zone defense on parenting. They all five married and we have 15 grandchildren now and so with all of that we're busy but um, I've been 27 years here as a pastor at Christ Church and uh, six years before that with a group called the Navigators and uh, current projects are church We've got people outside for construction going on and regular duties here, conferences I do, and I'm finishing up a book on parenting called Willows by Flowing Streams from the promise in Isaiah that uh, he'll pour out his spirit on our offspring. So this, those are some of the things I'm up to. Wow, you definitely stay busy writing, pastoring, conference speaking, grandparenting. You, you've got a you got a full plate going on there. So. It's a privilege. Thank you, uh, thank you for your work. I, I appreciate it, brother. Can you uh, just tell us a bit about your this book, "Waging War in an Age of Doubt: A Biblical, Theological, Historical, and Practical Approach to Spiritual Warfare Today"? Why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received, or how it is being received since it's been out just a little bit here? Yeah. Um, well, one, it's it's a long title. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I believe that it had to be, we had to relook at the biblical and then theological uh, issues regarding this. The historical, to realize we're not uh, alone in our generation, that we need to expand our thinking and see the massive contribution we've received from the beginning. But practical, because I believe every Christian is engaged in spiritual warfare. Uh, unfortunately, we live in an age of doubt and so we tend to people tend to sometimes I'm called the demon guy and I'll get a call from a pastor who's going through some strange things and wonders if he's all alone or if he's crazy and it's just good to uh, speak and into their lives and ministries but we've got an everyday reality that's been in every age and so therefore we need to go back begin with the Bible reaffirm 
good theology and what's been contributed historically. So I felt it was needed in our age. Yeah, it definitely uh, it definitely is needed. I, I think for the reason that you said, and, and I love what you just said about going back to the Bible. So this question will definitely touch on that some more. Uh, what, are, what are two of the biggest misunderstandings about spiritual warfare among Christians today? Well, if I could preface it and say, when you read the beginning of the Bible, uh, you've got chapter, you have two pages in Genesis that are Eden, and two pages at the end with the consummation. But chapter three, there's a war, and Satan, as the serpent comes and deceives, and the promise of the Gospels, right there in chapter three, verse fifteen, that one would come through the seed of the woman and crush the serpent's head. And if you go to the end before Revelation, first John three eight, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was just to destroy the works of the devil. So um, we can't ignore, even as John Murray says, the very uh, first redemptive promise is about war and the destruction of the evil one. But I'd say the two biggest misunderstandings are existence of spirits or that in an age of doubt, use Charles Taylor's terminology that we um, tend to view ourselves as a buffered selves in this age that we're, we can't be influenced by anything outside of our little radical individual selves, including evil spirits or the Holy Spirit. So one is just the denial of the, uh, the, the universe next door. And then also, I think a big misunderstanding is that after the Puritan age, spiritual warfare is really just left to Pentecostals mm. or other places in the world, but not in the modern West, and uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, so I'll just stop there and see if you have anything more. No, I, I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. I think we're, unfortunately, um, we're, instead of being supernaturalists, as B.B. Warfield talked about, you know, yeah. believing that in the reality of the supernatural, I think by and large, we we either, as you said, with the Pentecostals, we, uh, we go too far with it, and we don't, we go away from the biblical balance, or, or we just ignore it entirely so we're actually anti uh supernaturalists but i mean the the bible by itself is supernatural it's a, an inspired book it's it's reliable and trustworthy in everything that it that it says and and god has spoken you know we believe that and we trust that and uh so we we don't have any um i think the other thing is is i think we're sadly influenced too much by theological liberalism with its feeling emphasis and so yeah that that affects things too it affects so you have pentecostals on the one side and you have theological liberalism with its anti-supernaturalist uh view of of things and um of course denying the deity of christ and justification by faith and you know all, all, all sorts of other things but uh uh, you know, there's a there's a happy middle in in the Bible. You know, it, yeah. The the, the... Well, can be, you know to pick on our tribe. The there can be a rationalism in reformed circles where it's all mind, it's all thought, it's all behavioralism. We lack discernment sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that's really well said. What is the relationship between union with Christ and spiritual warfare? Well, that's a good question. Um, it's so important to see our identity in Christ as essential because our default mode is autonomy. Even as Christians, our default mode, you know, if I click print on my printer, 
it will always go to the default printer unless I intentionally click another printer of choice. And our default mode is uh, to fix ourselves, save ourselves, mm. and not depend on God. And at the same time, one of Satan's greatest strategies is um, to give condemning thoughts in our minds mm. um, and then uh, with being our default mode being more autonomous we tend to come up with foolish strategies even Christian practices that really are ignoring our position in Christ so if we respond with with ignoring that we're justified ignoring that we're saints or definitively sanctified or ignoring that we are children of god and begin to enter into battle against condemnation and other things and we we really miss out and end up trying to pretty much fight our own battles without the gospel mm. so union with christ is is so essential yeah i think it's uh that's a really good answer one, one thing that struck me in the recent days is I, i've often studied ephesians 6 10 through you know uh 20 but it but it recently i was studying this again and verse 10 it hit me finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and, yes. and before, before he gets into talking about spiritual warfare he's talking about union with Christ yes in Christ which is you know in Ephesians what a beautiful beginning we get in chapter 1 uh, establishing union with Christ of course we have you know warfare against our sinful nature in chapter 4 of Ephesians but uh, yeah so so true I think the other thing is we think that I, I think I mean our default disposition as, as people is to trust ourselves to rely on ourselves but if we go look at that passage, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. You know, don't be strong in yourself. You know, this is the same guy who, who said he, he boasts in his weakness, not in his, you know, in his strength. He boasts in the, he says in Second Corinthians, I think, 12, 5, that the grace of God is, is sufficient for, for everything, you know, in his yeah. weakness or in his strength. And, and he's saying, some people might think, well, he, he said I boast in my weakness, so what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? It means that we're in Christ, that we have yeah, unity well, with him. Just take the way um, Christians are being influenced. Um, so if somebody has um, a sinful inclination to same-sex attraction, the, the new terminology is, well, I'm a gay Christian. Mm. Um, so right there, union with Christ is, is sort of, it's ignored and um, sexual preference then becomes the terminology for our identity. Whereas if someone with same-sex attraction, we have a number of them in our church, and we teach identity in Christ so that out of their union with Christ, then they deal with the battle against their sinful nature and act out of who they are rather than um, who they're not. And so, yeah, it's so, it's so important to be strong in the Lord, which is a passive command. It's like we have to, through the ordinary means of grace, uh, get strength from God and not just try to do this on our own. And the gospel is so essential to go back to doctrine and truth and live out of that. That's really a good answer. Uh, why is it important that Christians have a good understanding of what the church has taught about spiritual warfare? Because we're stupid when we stay locked into our own age and just read the contemporary books because mm. 
uh, we don't we aren't separated from uh, the the church universal in all ages and there's been a massive contribution of uh, I like teaching I'll be teaching at a, a seminary this uh, January but on on history Reformation to modern and we have the Bible but we interpret the Bible we exegete it and draw out doctrine from it and so history of Christian thought is extremely important if we ignore that we're just starting all over which is so American just give me Jesus in the Bible and then Mm. you ask well who is your Jesus Mm. and what do you believe and we have this beautiful contribution on angels on warfare on wisdom on practical things to discern Satan's schemes and strategies and uh, though they're clear on every page of the Bible we we it's just what a privilege you know like I I'll pick I went through John Owen I went through Jonathan Edwards or different theologians that are contemporary today and read everything I could so that I learned from them even though I don't know them personally just a matter of humility to enter into the into the church's uh, contributions over the ages. Yeah, that, that's really good. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis chronological snobbery, you know, that, that we somehow have to make something up as we go, and uh, we don't. You know, we, we have the Bible and that, that's that's sufficient and, and authoritative for us, and, and we have uh, we have the, the teaching of the church, historical theology, that, that teaches us what the church has taught from the Bible about about uh, the subject, so I, I think absolutely you're right. And, you know, the Puritans are so rich on, on in particular on spiritual warfare. Uh, what in fact what 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 books would you recommend to our listeners and in, in better understanding uh, spiritual warfare? Well, I just want to amen, Dave, that you mentioned C.S. Lewis's friend Owen Barfield came up with the term chronological snobbery, and he was talking about this uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited so mm. uh, that's on page 78 79 in my book but um the um you you asked um uh, what what books have been influential in your own growth and understanding spiritual warfare that you would recommend to our listeners well if you could bear through it william Bernal's book the christian in complete armor it's on ephesians 6 10 through 20 thomas brooks Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. You can get a nice paperback from Banner of Truth and probably other places, maybe ebooks that are very accessible and inexpensive and, and grow a lot. I summarized both of those in the historical chapter, and they've taught me so many things like uh, not basing our identity on our own performance but on our position, the uh, challenges of post preaching or public ministry right after the evil one attacks. So just knowing when he attacks, how he attacks, serving out of an unhealed wound. Uh, if you've ever preached out of a wound, someone wounded you in your congregation, it's easy to really not 
get God's message and kind of give your own uh, twin dangers of legalism and antinomianism. Sinclair Ferguson has emphasized the mistake of prescribing a dose of either legalism to fight antinomianism or a dose of antinomianism to fight legalism, which neither... <laughs> our gospel, but rather the gospel antidote of our grace union in Christ. Uh, just understanding from Gurnall and others, the permitting, what does it mean to permit footholds in our primary relationships? I don't know if I came up with this or someone influenced me, but imaginary conversations. I notice if I, we, we are in conflict with somebody, it's common for people to have an imaginary conversation, kind of a battle with this person, maybe while taking a shower, maybe while cutting the lawn or exercising and it's not even reality and so we're, we're all worked up and emotionally drained with our imagination which Jonathan Edwards warned of so I would say um, probably the one that taught me the most was Jonathan Edwards I did a dissertation on his apologetic for the Great Awakening but he mentions three tricks that Satan uses one is just melancholy uh, being in a depressed state Another is how Satan mimics the very works of the Holy Spirit. We see that in the Bible and uh, in times of revival especially. And one thing Edwards taught me that I thought was so helpful, he said Satan's always trying to hold us back as long as possible, but in a time of awakening or quickening of the Holy Spirit when the kingdom advances forward, it's often the zealous friends of revival that are its greatest enemies. So in other words, if Satan can't hold us back any longer, then he'll work on pushing us too far. And so when there's an advance of the kingdom of God, friends of revival actually run too fast ahead and become Satan's very instruments of causing a lot of damage. Mm. So those would be some books and thoughts. That's, uh, that's, that's really, really good. Really, really good. Um, in what way are people more vulnerable to the three form three uh, forms of pride, as you mentioned them on page seventy eight? Yeah, well, we mentioned chronological or chronological snobbery, and just thinking we have the best, and everything before is discredited because it's old. So that's just so arrogant to think that our age is producing the best on this subject. Um, how sad. Um, Jonathan Edwards. Spirit Spiritual pride being the main handle um, uh, that Satan uses, and it's easy to fall into religion and think that somehow we deserve God's favor because we've done something or contributed in some way, and then split the world between the good and the bad, and look down on the bad people and say, "Thank you, God, I'm not like them." He, he recommends humility as the safest place to be farthest from Satan's work in our lives. And I mentioned pride of reason, that reason ever since the Enlightenment has uh, raised its ugly head too much, although faith is reasonable and we must use our minds, uh, we just fall so prey to having all the answers and not really being humble in interpreting what what's happening around us 
listening to people uh, as they struggle against the evil one can dismiss people's testimony so quick uh, and go just feel comfortable um, with our reasoned out approaches that often uh, keep us in the, under the influence of the evil one. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, how can Christians avoid being outwitted by Satan? Well, I mentioned 10 occasions of vulnerability in the book and then I go to Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 on seven weapons to handle those 10 occasions. I've mentioned some of them already. I'll say them again, but putting your, basing your acceptance with God on your Christian performance rather than on Christ's performance on your behalf, uh, in other words, justification. And all the, the Puritans bring this out as well as present day Reformed teachers. Falling prey to antinomianism, you know, we preach the gospel and it's so refreshing and wonderful, but we could fall on the other side to antinomianism where, oh, there's nothing really to engage in. We don't really need to pray and just need to review our Reformed mantra and do whatever we want, so to speak. Mm. Fall mm. footholds in our primary relationship. So Ephesians 4 talks about that in marriage and in our relationships that take time to make sure there's no bitterness or unforgiveness in us. Uh, just Satan looks for a hook or a way, a door opening. If you were, if you, you know, the idea of a foothold is if you had an, an, uh, an intruder come into your home and they put their foot by that door, you couldn't close it. You know, it's kind of hard to be safe once you permit a foothold. Um, I think men have been prone to pornography and one occasion of vulnerability is when we entertain uh, beauty um, through images of beautiful women. We could become captivated by beauty in a way that leads to inordinate desires, as Augustine would say, or idolatry. And that's a terrible trap to go down. Uh, and then I think false humility, where we beat ourselves up thinking that's humility, where we're always putting ourselves down or put, you know, really being hard on ourselves, ignoring justification and beating ourselves up to try harder all the time. Uh, that's not true humility, and it leads to uh, just sort of wanting to quit in the Christian life. So we need to be aware of those. That's uh, something you just said. Two two things that you said are so significant. I hope people really pick up on it. I want to I want to sit on it just for a minute here. Uh, one, you just talked about false humility, and you talked about pornography. And one of the biggest things that I talk to about guys is is this particular topic. And and one of the things I think that happens is 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 they, is they are so hard on themselves. They get into this mindset. I'm I'm such a loser. I'm so defeated. I'm I'm you know. I, but I'm hating my sin. I hate that that I looked at that. You know, which that's a good thing that they you know hated that they are grieved over the the sin. Um, I rejoice over that. But but. What, what we have to help them understand is, is and, and I take a little bit of a different approach than this in that I want to talk to them about grace more because so often they're just right, ap right after or right around this time, they're just so focused on beating themselves up. And it's like, yeah. what I want you to, what I want you to smell is Romans 8, 1, the fresh air that yeah. there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you know, that, it, it's, that, it's not an approving their sin. It's not, to be clear, approving 
proving their sin is saying, hey, if you're in union with Christ, you're as loved and as accepted as you possibly can be. So why are you beating yourself up? You're, you're loved, you're valued, you're accepted. Yes, and Dave, I'm so glad you point them to grace because in union with Christ, Romans 8.1 is preceded by Romans 6 on union with Christ. And the first Adam, the second Adam in chapter 5 or chapter 7 where Paul is struggling with his sinful nature. Oh, wretch that I am. But then he says, thanks be to God, there's no condemnation. And so what I found is that men who struggle with this, they'll, they'll get real down on themselves, they'll make a vow, God, I've been a bad boy, I'll never do this again, blah, blah, blah. And so then they go around, they start doing better, and then they fall again. And what that is, is an addictive cycle. But the real way to get out of that is to look up outside of ourselves to Christ and to all that he's done on our behalf and receive forgiveness rather than just confessing what a wretch I am, but actually receive forgiveness. It's as if he's on the cross looking down on us and saying, but I've already paid for that. And it's just getting up off ourselves and looking to Christ that we can repent and put that to death and make some progress. Yeah. This is this is a good this is a good place to ask this question as well. How do Christians extinguish the arrows aimed at scourging and distracting them from their identity in Christ? Yes. Well, Second Corinthians ten four and five is take every thought captive. So there's there's thoughts that just seem to come out of nowhere. We have to ask ourselves, are those true for mm. someone in Christ? Mm. Like, you're such a loser. Mm. Well, apart from Christ, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love what Paul says in, in Philippians 4. To think on what is noble and true and, and good, and and that's that's not us. That's that's Christ. And yeah. in the context, so, what's, what's amazing is is he tells us in verse four to rejoice in the Lord, and then he says in verse thirteen, "I can do all things through Christ." So so literally, it's we're to rejoice in the Lord because of His sufficiency, you know. And then he says yeah. all that He does, which I mean, that whole language is again union with Christ. So the arrow comes at us but the shield is faith. And so really what we believe matters. So we take the thought captive. Is this going to rule me? Or is the gospel truth going to rule me about who I am in Christ? Am I going to renounce it? You know, take every thought captive, renounce it. These weapons are powerful, destroying these whole strongholds. And then preach the gospel to ourselves. Go back to, to justification. Go back to adoption. Go back to union with Christ and, and definitive sanctification. Go to glorification and look beyond this world. And uh, then we gain confidence again. But the arrows will come in every age. We are not immune from it in our modern age of doubt yeah that that's really really good you know we we you know there's so much negative going on in our world today and and we know that to be true bob and and our listeners do as well but if we would do as you said fill our minds fill our hearts with with thoughts of heaven i mean we're not neglecting the earthly our earthly lives when we do that we're just you know the the opposite people say well if you're too heavenly minded you're going to be no earthly good actually i think the opposite is true you have to fill your mind with heaven to be of earthly good you know yeah that we have to i've never met someone who is too heavenly minded yeah 
That's true. Where can people go to find out more about your work online, either on social media or otherwise? Well, uh, if you go to Amazon and just type in Robert Davis Smart, there's nine books. There's one more coming. I've got a Facebook page, Identity in Christ. Uh, I've got a blog, www.identityinchrist.co, not com. And um, do conferences. So we're at ChristChurchPCA.org. And we'd love to serve wherever I can. Wonderful, brother. Well, that's that's great to hear. Um, we'll definitely be checking out your uh, Facebook page here soon. Um, there's a lot that we haven't uh, covered in the course of this interview. Just as we wrap up, do you have a few takeaways? Yeah, I'll be quick. I, at the beginning of the book, I mentioned a famous missionary who basically is, one is be confident, be confident in the presence of evil. It's checkmate. His head is crushed. Christ's kingdom is come. Christ rose from the dead. Uh, fear not. Be strong in the Lord. And this missionary said, let's not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. So I want to just say... Um, Christianity is not boring. It's exciting. It's joyful, uh, painful. There's suffering, but it's all for such a beautiful reason. Secondly, just uh, union with Christ. Don't forget to embrace the truth about who you are. Don't fall prey to the lies and fuel your performance and service with Christ uh, and all that he's done for you, knowing that uh, your identity and position is not at stake based on your work. And thirdly, prayer. You know, in all things, prayer, it's like uh, all those weapons mentioned in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. It's kind of like he says, put everything, every weapon, I'll pick it up with prayer. And I have seen, sorry to say, a lack of prayer with so many people in full-time vocational work, which is sad, but in the Christian life. And I just know that God is strong in our weakness. Prayer seems so weak, but regular habitual disciplined uh, times of prayer really is our main work and everything else is follow-up so that would be the three things wonderful brother why well, i so appreciate your time and the excellent work that you've done in this book you've done the church a great service in it and uh may god richly bless you as you continue your writing ministry and speaking and pastoring and all the lord's given you thank you dave wonderful to be with you you too brother Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.